You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Okay, welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast. I'm Cameron Crane, the executive editor, tvobsessive.com. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Kirksey, esteemed writer and contributor to the site. How are you doing today, Ryan? I am doing great. Very glad to be uh, back. I was just uh, outside catching crawdads and playing with a stick, misbehaving, you know. That's what I was doing. Oh, that's that's <laughs> really were you Wait, is that, were you really? Right. No, no, no. I could do that down here in, in Texas, but, uh, you know, I'm just trying to channel some of the people we'll be talking about here today. A crawdad and a crayfish is the same thing, or are they different things? Um, In, in Texas, it's it's crawfish. That's that's what we have. We, crawfish, right? we, yeah. we, we, we eat those on basically everything here by, by the coast, but uh, crawfish is what we love. We used to catch them. I grew up um, in the suburb of Detroit until I was like 11. We were right by the Rouge River, which is famously polluted and also makes a little appearance in Justified City Primeval, which we the premieres uh, tonight. Um, but we used to catch uh, you know, crayfish from from, the, the, from this polluted river, Ooh. you know, and we just like put them in jars and just like <laughs> play with them and mess around with them. There was like an urban legend about that river when I was a kid. I don't know if this is still true. That um, the urban legend was about some guy who accidentally fell into the Rouge River and died. You know, so of course I'm out there messing around as a little kid. We're like walking over logs, you know, logs across the river. And I fell in one day and I freaked out. <laughs> Anyways, maybe, maybe they go on there. Um, but cool. So yeah, we uh, wrapped up talking about the bear last time, which actually a couple of weeks ago. Um, so apologies if anyone was looking for a podcast last week. We will try to be on the regular weekly schedule here as much as we can. Um, so we're going to start talking about the Righteous Gemstones today, which Ryan has just started watching um, recently. And uh, but yeah, as first we're going to. Talk about what we've been watching besides that in, in sort of a casual way, avoiding spoilers, um, and talk a bit about what's in the news and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see, so today, today is July 19th, 2023. There's nothing going on in, in the the world of entertainment news, right, Cameron? No, no, it's 18th today. Maybe we'll release this tomorrow, but it is the 18th right now. I don't know. I just want to be accurate because, you know, if something happens, we want to be like, oh, we didn't do it. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I mean, of course, the big news here since last time we met would be that SAG-AFTRA has um, gone on strike during the WGA. The writers have been on strike since May. Certainly with the actors um, getting involved, it really seems like it's kicked up a notch pretty quickly. Um yeah, so I don't know what what all we should uh, we we should say about that. Yeah, I mean it's going to have ripple effects basically everywhere. If the writers' strike didn't already, this certainly will. You know, for anything that was um, to the point where it could be in production or in filming or in promotion, that essentially stops right now. We've seen things like you know, Cillian Murphy and the cast of Oppenheimer walk out of the screening in London once the strike kicked in, right? Yeah, so because they called the strike during the screening. Exactly. Which which I exactly. guess that they I guess they had um they had discussed that they were going to do that before that the cast yeah. was there, you know. Uh, but people saw it coming, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that makes a huge statement, you know, that uh, you know, in this massive worldwide event that's about to happen this this weekend, that they take a stand 
like that. And and they should take a stand. It, it affects uh, more than 160,000 actors and performers. And, you know, what they're fighting for is not for Cillian Murphy and Matt Damon's salary. They're fighting for the salary of these people trying to make a living. Right. And it's just sort of the baseline for what they can what they earn for these shows and also the residuals from some of these streaming streaming sites. So right. Yeah. I mean, it's I, all I the way up and down. Yeah, I do think it's really important for people to realize, and and some of the stuff that's come out in the past week. Hopefully, people are paying attention. You know, seeing some of the stuff. I mean, you have um, actors from Orange Is the New Black sharing things about how paltry their their pay was. And these recognizable faces. You say, "Oh, here's celebrity," and they're like, "Where is this? Here's my check for twenty seven dollars." You know, um, all kinds of things. There's, I think it is important for people to realize that there's all sorts of working actors out there and not everyone is some a-list celebrity making millions of dollars but also i would add even if it is you know what i'm saying you know even even if you are talking about someone who is making millions of dollars there's still the question of whether the performers are getting their fair share for the work they're putting in in order for this product to exist you know so i mean um and some of the things at stake in the strike also are very general. I mean, I mean, some of the stuff that they're concerned with about the possibility of the use of so-called AI, um, maybe more of a concern for the actors than the writers, even because um, the technology has gotten to where they can create a kind of facsimile. So this is one thing that's at stake, you know, and I, I hope people realize it's it's down to even whether they have to get the performer's consent yeah both consent and compensation you know so potentially you have the um amptp out there and th- what they floated in the contract as i understand it is that they want to be able to take the actor's image and voice and manipulate them you know through computers and technological means for to do whatever they want um, w- without even um, the performer having to consent to it. And, you know, if you're me, I-, I think they should have to consent and they should be paid. But more than anything, they should have to consent, in my mind, to to like each and every instance. You know, I, I don't know. you have any thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, we, we used this example, I want to say several weeks ago, but, you know, does does disney and lucasfilm get to use james Earl jones voice forever without his consent for darth vader do you know do these actors get to once they've lent their likenesses and their voices to these roles does the studio does the production company then have the right to use that in 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 perpetuity i think what you're saying and what i'm agreeing with is that they're fighting for the fact that no that they should not be able to do that they should have to give their consent each time that they're used and also be compensated fairly for that each time that they're that they're used Totally. I mean, that, that that's the position yeah, that I would take for sure. I do want to also, since we're talking about this, take a moment to try to clarify a couple of things that have been buzzing around in the world. I think there's been some confusion. Like if you use Twitter, which I don't necessarily recommend um, in general, uh, but, you know, there was something the other day or someone was starting to suggest that maybe it wasn't okay for people to do things like what we're doing right now or you know, writing reviews, engaged in film criticism, you know, and no, the, 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 the unions are saying, 
the unions have not asked us to not do this, first of all. Um, and uh, they, they did put out some clarification yesterday, thankfully. Um, I mean, I never really thought that made sense anyway, but yeah, I don't know. There, there, there was something of a maelstrom of confusion. And also, they're not asking for a consumer boycott. Right. And I do think those things hang together in a certain way because, like, it wouldn't make sense to say no one talk about this stuff at all unless you were also saying everyone boycott this stuff. And I'm, yeah. But they're not asking for a consumer boycott. They're not asking for people to cancel their streaming services. So, you know, if you're if you're mad at Netflix, as perhaps you are, if you're mad at Disney, as perhaps you are, if you read the quote from Bob Iger, you know, understandable. But um, just to know for, for anyone listening that, if anything, the unions are saying that it may hurt their cause if if those numbers are going down because precisely they want to argue about the value of the product that they've contributed to and so on and so forth. So, um, good, good, very good point because I, I've yeah. seen all over social media people posting about, oh, I've canceled all my my services. Here here are the receipts, right? And I'll I'll rejoin once these these people get back to the table and, and and provide something fair to them. But then, yeah, you're you're right in terms of hurting the case. You know, subscriber numbers go down, eyeballs go down. You know, wh- what are we doing if if we're not trying to help the cause of those who are fighting for things like fair compensation and residuals? That that does seem to be sort of counterintuitive to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. You know, so like, look, if at some point in the future, SAG-AFTRA and the WGA, you know, if, if the unions come out and say, "Hey, do a consumer boycott," that that changes things, perhaps. You know, like. Yeah, I guess I'm willing to say, like, leave it to them in terms of what they think is a good strategy. But I mean, I was just seeing someone today. There was a on Twitter, which is ter- a terrible place. Like, <laughs> anyway, th- there was someone who is a, literally a SAG after strike captain, telling people we're not calling for a boycott. Don't boycott. That might hurt us, at least for you know. Yeah. Um, watch, catch up on your watch list, enjoy your shows, don't boycott, you know. And there yeah. are people in the replies saying, Well, I think I disagree. <laughs> it was like, This is the union, era. it's so frustrating <laughs> to me. So, uh, so Cameron, what, what do you think? How, how wide a net will be cast with this? What will be impacted? You know, what will we see in the fall when quote unquote new things are supposed to come back? How, how big a, a um, shadow will this cast over TV in the once we get into September and October? Uh, well, I mean, it, I think it's tough to say ultimately because we don't know how long the strike will last. But I, I think that your question is fair because we already we already could probably make some predictions going through fall. Like we were looking at the um, what Fox released for their primetime lineup. That's, that's they're going to do a bunch of reality shows and they've got the um, uh, animation block, which I, which I guess those shows are done. The Simpsons, yeah. and because they, they they're generally on an earlier production schedule. Um, some other things, I don't know. I mean, who they have some things in the pipeline. I think it's yeah. probably fair to say if they've set a release date for it, like it's probably going to happen. Um, and uh, but beyond that, there are a couple of things. House of the Dragon is apparently still filming. Because now, now how can they get away with that? I mean, I guess that the entire cast is British. I don't know. Is this, <laughs> this is true? I didn't quite realize this, but but um look, I mean there's there's a wrinkle here, but they're not scabbing. People worry about that. 
um, they're in a different union, right? Right. You know, the SAG-AFTRA is, is um, we're talking about uh, a union in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So um, British actors are, I think it's called Equity. I'm sure there's probably more to the name of than that. People have heard of Equity. But they're under a different contract, so they're not on strike. Right. You know? um, uh, moving forward, depending on how the strike lasts, this could get complicated in terms of what does it mean to act in solidarity and so on and so forth. You know, if this thing drags on and you start having production companies saying, oh, well, we're going to make new shows and we're just going to hire, you know, entirely, um, you know, British actors who are in this other union. Yeah. Uh, I think that gets trickier. But when we're talking about something that was already in production and they're under a different contract, I mean, of course, I think we hit on this before. There's also a wrinkle with, with House of the Dragon that the writers were already on strike. So, right. I mean, again, if, if you're me, you're already objecting to the idea that they're filming without writers on set, um, as I understand it. I believe that that's true. So, yeah. And as a, as a viewer of that show, I'm also um, objecting to the fact that they're doing it without writers on set. You know, there's just such a complicated storyline, as the viewers know, that weaves through that, that to not be able to provide any critique, edit, um, shifting of of things as yeah. they go along. That that that's that's not appealing to me just as average Joe fan out there. Right. I mean, I was watching this relatively short interview with David Simon um last night, which is from a couple of months ago. I don't know watching watching YouTube clips. It was on Dan Levitard show, actually. Oh um, and uh he was talking about this, and and this was when the writer strike had just started gotten going. If people aren't aware, for some reason, David Simon's the, you know, creator of The Wire, amongst other things. And um, uh, he was talking about the difficulties that, you know, potentially a showrunner um, can work, but a writer can't, and it gets into very mm-hmm. some very difficult questions. But he was saying how, for him personally, he wasn't going to go to set at all because yeah. he's just not doing it. Because what does it mean you can't do? You know, if uh, you want to rewrite a line sort of on the fly, um, some of the you know, writers struggling with it or something like this, or there are little hiccups in the schedule and you want to do a quick rewrite to get around it, or if in the editing process you want to cut something and then you need to create a new short little scene in order for it to make sense, these are all things that they can't do. Yeah, yeah. So basically, if if, if they're operating without writers... Anything in production without without writers um, can't do that kind of stuff. You yeah. Know? Uh, so, and as we get into the fall, we're also looking at talk shows, Saturday Night Live, anything that has a writer is is you know or talent that would be involved in SAG or th- those are basically shut down as well, and everything will be on reruns. Yeah, and I don't know if I mean I don't know what their plan schedules were going to be, but. Late night shows have already been off the air. Um, a number of things on HBO. Like I feel like maybe Real Time with Bill Maher, uh, last week tonight. Maybe those things would have been on. Otherwise, I'm not sure what their schedules were. But uh, the shows have writers, so yeah, they won't they won't be happening. Uh, uh, it's a writer strike goes on. That's another thing, right? Yeah. And I think I could come to terms before the writers or or vice versa. That's exactly right. And I think I saw this is the first time in six or seven decades that these unions have 
have not been operating at the same time. And so obviously, you know, does that something that provides some leverage to those groups that, oh, we sort of are at the nuclear option here where neither of these groups have an agreement and we have nothing to fall back on? You know, does that help their cause? We'll just have to see. It's sort of unprecedented territory here. I mean, I would think so, because, yeah, the precedent is 1960 and the the big headline of what the unions won in the strike in 1960 is residuals, the existence of residuals at all, which which is kind of striking to think about from our perspective that that prior to that, they didn't get any residuals. The the, the concept, you know, didn't exist, wasn't operative. Yeah, yeah. So the Emmys were announced, the Emmys were announced. On the same day as the strike. Yeah, on the morning. Uh, So... I don't know. Any um, any thoughts about the nomination? Does anything stand out to you? You know, perhaps we'll just sit on this relatively briefly. Yeah, this was as you said almost a week ago. I can't say I was terribly surprised by any of the shows or the shows within the categories that I saw. Um, I, I saw announced um, some of our favorites that we've talked about before. Um, so many of the shows that we cover on the site will. Uh, were nominated many, many times. The Bear got 13 nominations. I think Succession, as perhaps was expected, led with 27 nominations. But what caught my eye the most was that if you look at just the platform or the network or the channel that received uh, the largest number of overall overall nominations, Max, Netflix, Apple TV+, Hulu, Prime Video, and Disney+, Plus far and away outpaced the others. And, you know, if you pay attention to that list, those are all the streamers, right? So I guess that's where all of our good stuff resides these days. And obviously the cable channels and the network channels got got next to, not next to nothing, but significantly less. That just stood out to me that uh, looks like that those streamers are where the are where the good shows are going these days. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess HBO is a wrinkle though, right? Because yeah, these are HBO, HBO slash shows, Max, which yeah. are still network shows and, um, and every, everyone's confused about those <laughs> that um you know but if, if it's an hbo show that they would still they still have that anchor in the cable network you know um and of course they're largely represented but yeah certainly a big shift i mean you know if you're you're no longer seeing um whatever's on prime time on cbs or something like right. this you know tend to even even register so so that is interesting if you go look at some of these names, it's almost like you know network TV is is really hanging their their hat on shows like Abbott Elementary right now, which carries a lot of nominations. There's just not many more that are you know not news networks or feature pieces that are getting these these nominations. So yeah, there's just not much out there in network primetime anymore. Yeah, I, str- I mean, I struggle to think of like a prestige network drama. Yep. Um, and the one cable network that found its way amongst that group, kind of in between the streamers and the networks, was FX, which uh, is obviously has the bear, has a show that I think we're going to talk about in a second. Um, it has quite a bit of that that level that some of these streamers are seeing right now. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Um, perhaps we should also mention we're hitting on the Emmys. We're talking about the strike. We don't know in terms of. You know, will the strike be over? Will they have the televised ceremony? They're supposed to be, you know, the televised Emmys are supposed to be in September. Um, all indications that I've been seeing seem to point in the direction that if the strike is still going on, they'll delay it. 
So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, what, you want to talk about Top Chef? Yeah, only other thing that caught my attention over the last week was uh, something that was pretty highly anticipated, a show that I love. Top Chef named its next host after Padma uh, Loxie de- departed after 20 seasons. So Kristen Kish, who won the 10th season of Top Chef and has been back as a guest judge many, many times, will be the new host of that show whenever that comes back and however that that comes back. Not sure how these um, these two strikes impact that show specifically, but the next show is scheduled to be in in Wisconsin of all places. When we'll have Kristen Kish as the host at some point, um, so they have named their new um, their new person, and I guess now it's just a matter of when can they get back to to filming some of these some of these episodes. I mean that that they I think really hit a home run with this Top Chef All Stars that just aired a couple months ago. Got a lot of publicity mm-hmm. is pulling in all of the global pieces of that you know that huge brand now and really was well received so now they're at a huge turning point without their their host of 20 seasons i'm just looking forward to seeing what what happens i do like Kristen kish she was a good contestant uh been a good judge we'll see we'll see what happens yeah that's crazy 20 seasons i yeah. i mean i used to watch top show and I probably have not watched Top Chef in like 15 years, so it's weird that it's like, oh yeah, that's still there. It's like that. Oh, bad, but, but, yeah, you know, that, that, that'd be weird to think about it without. Yeah. If, you, if you haven't watched Top Chef in a while, watch the season 19, which was the Houston season. Not biased about that; just thought it was very good. Um, and then there's a through line between that going into season 20, which was the All Star, the Global All Stars. Oh, okay. um, and you'll know what it is pretty pretty soon after you watch those. But I thought those were two. Uh, very well done um, seasons after, you know, maybe a dip in the teens. I think they've really ramped it back up. Cool. Yeah. And to hit on you know, one thing you were mentioning, at least my understanding is I think these reality shows will be moving forward because they're generally operating under a different set of um, contractual structures. And uh, look, I don't know all the details here, but yeah. I think, I think reality shows are, are generally um, generally going to be a go. Yeah, that's my that's my amateur understanding of it as well. Yeah. Okay. So, well, um, what have you been watching lately? Well, I am still reluctantly and slowly making my way my way through Secret Invasion. I uh, was trying to catch up last night. I don't know what this says about it, but in two separate episodes, I fell asleep twice. Um, so this is not a good indication for somebody who is a diehard Marvel fan to say that it's not really piquing my interest. But man, there's so much opportunity there with Spycraft in the show. And they just are, I, I think there's some missed opportunities. I'm going to be putting some, something out on the site at the end of the season. Um, but I think there were just so many things they could have grabbed hold of and and done with this show, but they've, They've missed it for me, um, but I'll I'll finish it out and give my sort of complete wrap up. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not looking good for those of us on the on the Marvel bandwagon these days. Oh, that's a shame. Years ago, I mean, is it all uh, years ago? I watched um, Agents of Shield, and that was very bumpy in its first season. And I mean, is it reminiscent of, of that at all, or it, did you not watch? That? I didn't I watch canon. much past the first few episodes of agents of shield there was always this weird thing with that show where they could never decide if it actually connected to the mcu or not and how you know there were some overlapping characters and overlapping stories but they couldn't decide what they wanted to do with it um i think the problem with that show was they just you know it was on network and they just had to stretch it out so long and tried to 
grab every storyline that they could. It just never, never connected for me. Um, but I think as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Secret Invasion is this incredibly popular comic book storyline that did so well about 15 years ago. Um, and, you know, some of the surprises have been telegraphed. Some of the some of the mysteries have been, I think, underwhelming. So it, it's got one more episode. It's got an episode tomorrow and then a finale next week. And then um, turn back over to the movies for a while, I think. Right on. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm in the minority of individuals. So I got pretty into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's some stuff, at least in the middle, that was really good. And I don't think I watched the final season because it shouldn't, like, it shouldn't exist. Like, yeah. where I stopped watching, it was like, okay, this show is over. And then they came around, and they're like, we're going to make one more season. It's like, why? You know, I just never watched it. I'm pretty sure that's right. But um, it was definitely... Definitely a bit bumpy at the beginning. And as you say, they kept it kind of weirdly disconnected from the MCU. And yeah, well, I'm now pinning my Disney Plus hopes on a show coming out next month, Ahsoka, which is now sort of going to be the, you know, we've got one pretty bad show in Obi-Wan Kenobi at the beginning of the year. We've got a really strong show in Andor. So now this is sort of the, who's going to get the best two out of three with that coming up here with, with this one. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that coming out next month. I, I think I've decided I'm going to do, I've never watched the animated star Wars rebel show before. And apparently that's good source material for this. So I'm going to try to, to plow through four seasons of that before, before August. But um, the, these are properties I'm invested in and love forever. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that they, that they succeed. Ahsoka is giving me some hope where secret invasion has failed. Yeah. I think you know, people are looking forward to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, you checked out Command Z, you said? Yeah, well, I checked it out only because I'm digging into it after reading uh, the piece on the site, which I believe you wrote, right? You, mm-hmm. you um, wrote this piece on the Steven Soderbergh for sci-fi, very interesting. Uh, I don't even. I guess we call it a show. It's kind of like got little featurettes. Hey man, they 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 said it was a series. I honestly, I it, it seemed to come out of nowhere. I didn't yeah. know about the thing until yesterday, and you know, I'm in a position where I'm trying to pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> um, fan of Steven Silverberg. Uh, so yeah, I, I went ahead and wrote an article on the first episode. The first episode being eight minutes long, right? Um, but I but I felt like well, there was enough there to talk about the show in general and. You know, um, digging into the first episode now sets things up, and I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. I'm, I haven't got the chance to watch the rest of it yet, but it looks, um, it seems very entertaining to me so far. It's like very quirky and playing with this dystopian future, and yeah. Um, and I'm still unclear where do we find this show? Do you have a, a succinct answer to that? Yeah, well, I mean, I put it in the article. Uh, <laughs> it, my understanding is that this is the only place to find it is on the website. Yeah. Um, which, uh, oh man, I think it's like commandzseries.com, but I'm sure people can find it if that's not um, not exactly yeah. right. And, You're right. Uh, I've got it pulled up right here. Yep. Commandzseries.com. Yeah. So um, it was $8. The proceeds are supposed to go to charity. Um, it seems like a cool little thing. From what I've read, I, I mean, I guess the whole thing is only 90 minutes. So Part of me felt like I should watch the whole thing yesterday, but I had other stuff going on. Like, mm-hmm. for example, I had to watch this other Steven Soderbergh project going on right now, Full Circle, which I'm writing on for the site. Ah, okay. Um, 
Have you uh, have you watched that at all? You know, what this is. is I'm surprised I'm not seeing this yet. This is like right in my wheelhouse. This type of show, but I have not I've not picked it up yet. So I'm very curious to know your thoughts on it so far. It's really complicated. Okay. Um, it's good. I was just reading. Um, uh, maybe it was an indie wire. Uh, I think uh, Ed Solomon who wrote it. I guess like wrote was wrote it wrote the story from three different perspectives and then combined them together in order to make this 500 page long script or something like that <laughs> which kind of tracks to me because it's um you've got a bunch of different characters and um one would struggle to say who is like the protagonist it doesn't really quite have that kind of structure um but it's it's complicated it's it's fundamentally um this is like a thriller um i don't know that it's deep like i don't know if i would use that word but it, yeah. it, it requires thought and engagement to 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 follow and uh i mean uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it i i wrote on the premiere last week for the site and i guess it's two more weeks they released two episodes on the 13th and then they're doing two on the 20th and then two on the 27th so um the, the, these HBO limited series always seem to be quite strong. I, I remember just being rocked by Mayor of Easttown when it came out with Kate Kate Winslet and how good that was. You know, another one of these sort of gritty crime, big city pieces that was out about a year, year and a half ago. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily in that vein, it sounds like, but if um, you're producing something by this, you know, by by this director, it's something I think I'm going to check out inevitably. Yeah, I mean, this this is a Max original. Oh, okay. Excuse me, not, Max. It's not airing on the HBO network. It's a Max original. It's only on the streaming service. It's like I will keep this straight. Even if the rest of the world is confused. <laughs> I have a feeling I will never get those right. It's it's, ter it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, it it reminds me in some ways of The Undoing. Although I think I'd probably like I, I probably think Full Circle's better, mm, okay. but. I was a little down on the undoing ultimately. So for wherever that's wherever that's <laughs> worth. But it's got Timothy Olyphant in it. So it's uh, like I'm it, with the command Z and then full circle and then justified city primeval. I've really I'm really doing this kind of loop-de-loop -loop of Steven Steven Soderbergh and Timothy Olyphant. This is something you have written about the just in general, the last the last justified series um i've seen several things today since today's day that i believe that it comes out talking about how strong this is as a limited series um and basically it just seems like people just uh love to have Raylan Givens back in their lives what do you think yeah i mean i think it's fair I, i've got uh, i've got screeners for it um we will have articles coming out on the first two episodes which are which are tonight tuesday the 18th um at 10 p.m on fx is when it premieres so then i think maybe it goes to hulu tomorrow i don't know if it goes to hulu immediately it's supposed to be on hulu i think ultimately so yeah i mean it's really i don't know it's striking with uh because i was just re-watching some of the old show and it was like yeah it's Raylan. he has gray hair now <laughs> still has the hat so yeah, I'm very, very curious to to check it out. Um, Boyd Holbrook, I believe, is the 
is the antagonist in this new series. Yeah. If I understand correctly, uh-huh. he of the Indiana Jones henchman fame that's uh, that just come out a, a couple weeks ago, right? Um, playing the uh, blonde haired Nazi in that in that movie. So yeah, he's kind of taking a he's got a, a bad guy role going on going yeah. on. Yeah, he's an Oklahoma wild man in this. Movie. Okay. <laughs> and Clement Manziel. The interesting tidbit, uh, the interview with Timmy, Timothy Oliphant that um, uh, I was watching. This was this was with Rich Eisen. So it's just weird. I'm like watching these sports guys, but they're interviewing. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, that uh, he was saying, I guess that um, Timothy Oliphant um, like pitched the idea of this series to Quentin Tarantino on the set of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You hear anything about this? No, never heard of that. Oh, this is quite interesting because apparently at one point Tarantino was considering making a movie out of City Primeval. Mm-hmm. He's an Elmo Leonard fan. He did get, get um, not, he, didn't, he did not do Get Shorty. He did Jackie Brown. Um, but uh, yeah, so apparently he was into this idea, and that was part of what what kind of got things in motion here. Um, the book is not a Raylan Given story, but they've taken this other Elmore Leonard novel and they've inserted Raylan Givens into it as the protagonist instead. Basically, that's my understanding. I haven't read the Elmore Leonard. Um, but yeah, it comes out tonight. People should watch it. I'm looking forward to seeing what people think of it. I can't wait. I'll be catching it just as soon as it comes out tonight. Cool. Well, let's get to the Righteous Gemstones. I mean, I'm also watching Foundation. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, let, let's get to the righteous gemstone. So, uh, I guess uh, potentially we're going to get into spoilers here, so we should do our general deal and uh, you know take like ten seconds. So uh, we limit to limit to season one. Spoiler warning for season one of the righteous gemstones. No, yeah. all right, sounds good to me. All right, so let's get back into this. Um, the Righteous Gemstones, Ryan, you said that, so you've just recently checked out this series, perhaps on my recommendation, uh, you know, um, but I, I'm curious um, how it's been striking you. My understanding is you, you have gotten into season two, at least, but we're going to try to limit ourselves to season one here. Um, and then moving forward the next couple of weeks, so we'll keep talking about the Righteous Gemstones and catch up and talk about the end of season three, which which is in a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just want to start with, I don't know, general impressions and, and thoughts about the show? Yeah, I will. It, it was almost exclusively on your recommendation and some of the things I was reading on the site that made me want to, to tune into this, um, seeing that it's getting a lot of, I think a lot of buzz as a third season. I, I thought, well, maybe it's about time for me to, to check this out. And there were, there were, there's probably one primary reason why I had not, had not checked it out already. Um, I generally was not a Danny McBride fan before this show. I watched some of Eastbound and Down. That was not for me for whatever reason. Like crass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it, <laughs> I, I you know. It's very crass, and yeah. I understand. Like if you're, if you didn't care for Eastbound and Down, I'm like, but there are too many, you know. <laughs> too much potty humor. Was it too crowded? Too many dick jokes? Is that the but problem? That's, but that's the thing: is there's plenty of yeah, there's plenty of that here in Righteous Gemstones as well. And I, and I'm 
I, I'm loving it. So I, I don't know what the the difference is. Maybe, maybe there's some some things in this one that are hitting closer to home for me. Um, but I had just mistakenly assumed that this was some kind of mockumentary about these uh, these big church and big. Uh, production style preachers that you know just go and scam people for money, and there's certainly some some satire about that. But it really, I've found to be not that at all. Um, my my history, I've grown up at a in a you know, conservative church. I live in Houston, where you know one of the originators of this movement, Joel Osteen, at the Lakewood Church that my my former boss used to call the you know, most popular free psychologist in the world. Um, this was, you know, just my impression of what it was going to be like sort of diving into how awful these things are, but it really is much more of a family show and not family show in the terms that it's for families, but a, how you construct a family, how a family works together. And I've just been struck by sort of the heart behind it and some of the, the motivations of the characters, which are, are pretty relatable when I thought, oh, this is just going to be something I'm not interested in. I really have fallen in love with it. I'm through the first two seasons now going to start the the third season this weekend yeah no i I agree and to be clear if anyone's listening has not watched this (laughs) we do not when ryan says a family (laughs) show we do not recommend watching this with your children don't 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 like sit don't sit there no i would not do that whatsoever i don't have children but i still would not do that um yeah no it's interesting i mean i was talking a bit with um hawk about this who's writing on the show for the site um and uh you know we were talking a bit about our backgrounds which are perhaps well definitely i'm getting the feeling you know less involved in the the, the world of the the church and christianity than yours um but what, what do you so what do you think though about the value of the show because I, I do feel like on the one hand it is kind of lampooning mm-hmm. something uh related to Mega churches, something related to like the prosperity gospel kind of idea, but on the other hand, I feel like it, it it's not it's not anti-Christian by any means. Would you agree? No, and I, I think that's what represents some of the heart behind the show. I wouldn't say that it's it's anti-Christian. I would say it's more um, anti pursue what you want and, and for with all means necessary um, to to get those things. Um, it, I, I've just found that the the family behind this gemstone family behind the show yes it certainly is a satire a, a lampoon a, a a really i think piercing look at what it what those people can be like we're talking about these mega churches and people that are really just um just overflowing with with money and just maybe outside or separate from the the message that they they're supposed to be preaching but it, it's not an anti christian anti-church show it's more of a what do you do to protect the things that you have and what's important to you and this family seems to be struggling with what those things are okay yeah interesting you mentioned something about uh, in in, in your notes here about the um the father-son dynamics which i thought was Mm -hmm. interesting to think about as as something of of a through line almost right which in season one did you see this uh uh it, it, it focuses on the whole um, trying to extort money from Jesse, right? Yeah, that's like a main plot line in season one. Yep. And then you have the um, the fact that it is Gideon who's who's a part of that. I don't remember. You watched this more recently than me. How how soon did we find that out? Did we find that out fairly quickly? 
It's about, um, I think it's about midway through season one. We learn that his son is wrapped up in this plot to blackmail and extort his dad uh, based on some things they did at a prayer convention in, in the ATL. Um, in the ATL. <laughs> <laughs> this is referring to the, yeah. uh, the movie, ATL. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love and, that movie. But it was, it was interesting to compare... So Jesse being the Dana McBride's character, who is the son of John Goodman, the sort of titular gemstone lead pastor, um, patriarch of his family, and then Skylar Gazondo, who is Jesse's son, Gideon, um, how Jesse is just constantly seeking approval while at the same time trying to get his dad to move along so that he can take over. His son, Jesse's son, Gideon, has wanted basically nothing to do with that life. He's gone off to Hollywood, become a stuntman, um, and eventually gets wrapped up in a plot to try to blackmail his his father. But both sides end up trying to to reconcile, to repair those relationships. And the season sort of ends with how they've uh, how they're working towards that, particularly the Jesse and 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 Gideon Gideon relationship. So I just thought that sort of father son relationship particularly when you're talking about the idea of Christianity and father and the son, uh, sort of how that all connected together. It just, it, it hit quite well. Um, and I think that's part of the, part of that is why I've been able to turn on Dana McBride in this, because sure, he's crass and he's sort of lewd and all those things that he's been in the past, but he's able to deliver something that shows he can sort of hit those emotional notes that really made this something different than I ever thought it would be. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I totally agree. I think you said already that uh, that the show just has a whole lot of heart, and it's yeah. it's it's interesting to me that certainly by the end of season one, I felt like oh, I I, I kind of love these crazy gemstones. I'm not sure. I think that they're good people. You know, <laughs> like this is this is really debatable, right? Like, they, might, they might not be good people, but but uh, that is um. Yeah. Kind of brought me around to 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 sort of root for them in in a certain way. Yeah. Um, but that, that's I think some of the criticism of these these mega churches and these mega church pastors is that they have been so have they been so influenced by fame, by money, by prosperity, by people relying on them that they have lost the meaning behind what they originally started to do, what it is that they're doing. Um, and it seems like the Dimson family is constantly fighting that tension of, of everyone loves them, everyone wants to be a part of their church, but they're still trying to save what's important to them, which is their family. Right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that that space of that tension. The one, the one scene that I remember, um, and I can't remember to quote, or even if I if I even if I'd want to, I'd definitely be like cussing. Uh, but there's there's one scene where where um, where Jesse. Um, like cusses people out because he's trying to pray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was it, it's great because it's like trying to it, it like bringing together a certain kind of yeah genuine sincerity or something. Yeah, <laughs> but um, with a whereas you know at least on a surface level you'll get people um saying that you you, you ought not use bad language and, right right uh, I, I think he says something like i'm trying to pray god damn it yeah i i as someone again that grew up in a in a church and still still does attend 
uh, sort of just love that sort of back and forth, sort of the, the the two sides to every gemstone person they play. The, the person that they are when they're in front of the congregation or when they're trying to represent something and the person they are behind the scenes, right? And I just thought there are deeper layers of that, right? Because what is the idea of, of Christianity if it's not the fight between who you want to be versus who you should be? And they just, you know, that they, every character in some way embodies that to me. Yeah, and then I think... Um... I think it really deepens it with interlude episodes. Yes. Um, and also gives the opportunity for Amy Lee to be in the story in a certain way because of it, she's passed. But by, by the present day story, she's she's passed away. Um, but, uh, thoughts on the interlude in episode one? And I, I loved I loved the interlude. I, I, frankly, I, I love the Amy Lee character, and we see her there we see her in some other flashbacks throughout the series at least that i've seen so far um i found myself wishing that she was in the show more i wish we had more of that character because she seems to be sort of this wholesome center that kind of drew everything together sort of built what they had and kind of was a moral compass to them um in addition just being just sort of this this stereotypical funny southern bell that you know that wanted to do all these good things so i find myself wanting her more but the interlude was so powerful to introduce what her power and influence was over everyone else and how they're all maybe breaking apart because she's not with them anymore yeah you you realize how much it is the 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 kind of crisis of the aftermath of her passing it's her abs she's like the absent center in, in, in a meaningful way, I think. And I love the interlude episodes. And thankfully, it seems like most people do. Yeah. But I can I could imagine something like, wow, what are you doing taking us the whole flashback episode? But <laughs> like, I, I think they're great. The kids who play the younger versions of the, um, uh, you know, of Jesse, of Judy. Yeah. Um, in particular, you know, um, also in common, but I don't have the actors' names that they're ready, but they just do such a great job, like mimicking the mannerisms of their older counterparts and uh and uh, anyway there's one of those each season apparently yeah. you know so i don't know if that's a spoiler for season two or season three <laughs> it's a structural note okay the yeah. interlude episodes yeah. are great and then there's one of them each season they, they seem to the one thing that's giving a continuity is that form and i totally agree that yeah um seeing it, lee involved is great it was interesting i saw the first interlude not too long after watching the fishes episode of the bear season two, not oh, to go yeah. into the details of that, but just to, was reminded how much I thought that worked structurally. Yeah, this idea of going back and looking at something looking at a, a sort of grounded focus point from where a lot of this has grown. Um, it just, yeah, it just really worked for me. Yeah, no, it's interesting because when I, when I saw that episode of the bear, one of my first thoughts was, oh, this is kind of like the interlude episodes mm. of the righteous gemstones, but with way more anxiety. <laughs> um, you know, but, but yeah, I think, I think there's a real similarity and, and it's cool. And we need to talk about baby Billy. Of course, yeah. it's in, it's in the interlude that you get baby Billy and Amy Lee doing their classic song, misbehaving <laughs> that gets stuck in your head. Oh yeah, oh my! It's been, I mean, it's been in my head for for two weeks now since yeah. I I watched that. I think I went and watched the video on YouTube. I uh, have pulled up the lyrics. There are people who you know dissected the lyrics and put up, put it to other music, auto tuned it. You know, gone every which direction with it. That that song uh, just needs needs to be a, a hit somewhere. But it, it's it's I mean, uh, it's got a good number of YouTube views. I think, yeah, so it's 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 incredible, and it just also I think I saw the Danny McBride as one of the 
the writers of the lyrics of that song. Um, that's just, just, just genius stuff that they put together as a, you know, these, these two are obviously, we're talking about uncle baby, Billy Walton Goggins character, who's Amy Lee's brother. And we're, I guess, child stars in the Christian yeah. you know, Southern Christian circles. Right. There's a version of the song with, uh, with them as kids also. Yeah. 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 And it just, it, it, I just found not only that episode fascinating, but Walton Goggins character is just, I, I just found it to be flawless. I mean, just who he's supposed to represent yeah. and the type of person he is supposed to be and having been around people that are, somewhat like that in in my past growing up here in the south um gosh i i, I mean it, just moving from his role in in justified into this role here and, and sort of catching both of those recently man just just blown away at how good he is yeah i love goggins man. i mean uh I, I think in everything you know um go back to the shield you ever watch the shield no never it is pretty dark and Goggins yeah. is definitely, you know, veering <laughs> into like some dark drama territory there, but he, he does a really good job of doing, yeah, of course, on Justified, as you mentioned. Um, and then he has a, he has quite a range. I mean, he was in I'm a Virgo where he plays like a self-made superhero kind of figure. <laughs> <laughs> He's good in that. Um, but man, yeah, um, Baby Billy is going to be the standout for me, I think, when it comes down to Walton Goggins. So I'm trying to say it's already been one of my yeah. favorite actors. Before The Righteous Gemstones came out, I was like, oh, Walton Goggins is in this. And this is just, I mean, the everything about Baby Billy, the way he talks, is this sort of draw. Yeah. Um I, I was trying to think if character. I could if I could pinpoint a a better accent that represents who a character is supposed to be. There, there have been some bad accent accents lately. You, you covered Silo. Um, yeah. you, you know, we, we've had some bad accent work lately. The, the, his accent as Uncle Baby Billy is just tremendous. I, I mean, I could just watch a, a YouTube video of him talking through the series. Yeah, that's great. And then so he's caught up in, we were talking about Amy Lee as sort of the absent center. And I think a Baby Billy is, is sort of caught up in uh, I'm sorry I just I just started laughing to myself about the fact that they call him uh, that they call him Uncle Baby Billy uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Baby Billy is, is, is caught up in I think you know wanting to recapture that that fame or, or what have you you know and as we recall in season one he's, he's upset because he's kind of on the outs and then they give him this little church to run and so on and so forth right they do. They give him a, a a role running a, you know, it's hard to call what they do at, you know, a church plant. Church plant is usually, you know, 10 or 12 people who go and try to start something. You know, he, he gets a church with 900 people that's a former Sears at a, you know, a mall. mall. And, yeah. uh, and uh, just, you know, what he does with that is just, is, is, is just phenomenal. But he, he does, he wants more. He wants more to do. He wants to be a more, more part of that family, especially because he considers it was his family, his sister that started all of this. And which sort of culminates in this confrontation between him and and Eli Gemstone, John Goodman's character. Um, and you know, yeah, since we're you know going through this whole those this whole season, he ends up getting struck by lightning in the very last episode. Um, and and I think sort of the cliffhanger to the season is you see him kind of taking on this new persona of the 
either the lightning preacher or the electric preacher. And he, he's oh, right. going around starting this, this revival as somebody that came back from, from the dead and right. uh, he's kind of positioning himself to maybe take on something in the future. Right. And then he's got uh Tiffany, yeah. <laughs> she's great too. And I was reading, uh, reading an interview recently with Goggins talking about the actress who plays Tiffany his name is uh, Valen Hall, I believe, and how great she is. He called her, he called her the pepper in the sauce. Yeah. <laughs> I was I, reading this in print, but I couldn't help but read the words in not just Walton Goggins' voice, right. Baby Billy's voice. And Uncle Baby Billy's voice. The pepper in the sauce. She gets even better, I think, in, in, in season two. But she is a really, I think, funny compliment as a very young, not too bright. I'm along for the ride, sort of riding the coattails of this this famous Southern preacher, um, she, 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 she does a pretty phenomenal job, especially moving forward. Yeah. I don't know. I was just struck by it because Coggins was saying in the interview, like, do you think she's great? And she stands toe to toe with everyone in the cast and she's wonderful. Oh, wow. And he said something like there'd be no baby Billy without her. It was like really glowing praise, um, which, which seems warranted to me from the performance. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I just, you know, I, I try to think who would be the weak link amongst the, amongst the cast it's there's really there's really not one because even john goodman you know he's, he's obviously a fantastic character actor and been on sitcoms forever he does a really good job of i, I think showcasing this weight that he's holding without amy lee there and how he's struggling to do it without her um and much of the emotion comes from comes from what what he does i just you know in that first season i, I didn't find many many weak links in terms of and people that are just like ah, i could take or leave that that character yeah no i i don't think there are but you are putting me in mind of the fact that i think we should talk about bj now it's been a while since i've watched season one so i'm asking you to refresh my memory here a little bit about what all what all happens with bj in season one i guess i'm also asking what you think of bj at this point yeah most uh, bj has a much bigger role in season two yes uh, I, I, I do recall that yeah, he tries to ingratiate himself more into the family and and kind of distances distances himself um, in, in in that season. But um, he's just kind of a a whipping boy, you know. He's got this, you know, this this uh, I guess their fiance at this point and and mm-hmm. Judy Gemstone. Um, I, I just I find, I find their relationship to be in some way just just completely over the top but another way relatable in that they struggle with with things like you know how we interact with our separate families they struggle with things like how we um how we balance the things that we want to do versus the expectations that people have of us um they're ridiculous ridiculous characters but bj and and judy somehow that relationship works for me in terms of what they're what they play with the story yeah i agree and judy is i mean i was saying earlier how it's like i i love these characters they feel like real people it's like i love these people i don't i mean judy is a trip i don't know (laughs) i don't know we'd like I don't know if I'd like actually want to be friends with Judy Jemson. No. <laughs> but I mean, Edie Patterson is just an exceptional work, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, just just a great show. So we'll, we'll talk about this more in the next couple of weeks. Other things you, you want to hit on before we wrap up here? No, I just, I, I mean, I really, if you were like me and on the fence or not check this show out, it's, um, I just 
can't give it a, a higher recommendation, at least from what I've seen in the first two seasons. Every episode is about 30 to 40 minutes. Um, the first two seasons each have nine episodes. Really strong acting, really strong story. I think that there's a good mix of humor, of heart, of action. You know, that's your thing. There's a lot of that as well in both in both seasons. Um, it just, I think I've turned a corner on on Danny McBride now. Having after having watched these first two two seasons, I'm I'm a real fan of what he's doing with this. Cool, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the hope is that this show keeps going for a while. Apparently, they have plans, ideas, and intentions um, to keep it going. So, hopefully, that happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, season three is also nine episodes. For what it's worth, if it happens to be the case that. So people are listening who haven't watched the show at all. You say, I mean, you could catch up. It would take some binging, obviously. But the season three finale, um, they're airing two episodes on July 30th is what they're doing. So, um, you know, we're, we're filming, we're recording this on the 18th, you know. Right. So there's an episode on Sunday and then two episodes on the following, um, the following Sunday. I have those dates right. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. Twenty yeah, third will be the seventh episode, and thirtieth will be the eighth and ninth ending, ending that third season. But yeah, I'd love to. Next week we can tackle season two, and by then, um, a week later, we'll be ready to to go through the entire season three. Yeah, I guess that's what we'll do. So, um, sounds good, Ryan. I look forward to talking about the Righteous Gemstones more with you. Um, thank everyone for listening here uh do check out the website tvobsessive.com uh you can follow us on twitter which i know i was discouraging you from using earlier but if you do <laughs> use twitter follow us on twitter uh also on uh on facebook you can follow me on twitter it's at cameron cc which you'd have to spell my name right um what about you ryan yeah same thing um i'll have something going up on the site soon about about uh Secret Invasion, and I guess I've spoiled my my disappointment for that. I'm at Cable Vox Score on Twitter, and uh, looking forward to season two next week. All right, sounds good. And you listen to the podcast on. I mean, you're listening to it already. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's on iHeart, Audible, Amazon, other things. It's hosted on Podbean, so of course it's there. And also, um, we are posting these things to YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel. There's some other stuff there as well. Perhaps you're interested in. Subscribe to the YouTube channel whether you like it or not. You need to build that build that following, okay? Uh, but yeah, please you know, like, subscribe, leave us good reviews. Uh, hopefully that that's honest. And uh, all right, I suppose we'll leave it there. I'll see you next week. All right, Cameron. See you next time. All right.